This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. We have been spending this summer uh, looking at various psalms in the collection that's found in the Old Testament. If you brought a Bible with you, I'd invite you to uh, open that now. Uh, you slide that open however you find your uh, Bible. Uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 46 this morning, and um, I, th- I feel like every every psalm we preach, I just kind of seed in a little bit of information about psalms, um, just you know, for for further background. And I, I want you to, you know, I don't know how you approach the psalms, but if it's anything like I, you know, have done in the past, is they, they feel like really polished poems. Um, that have, you know, very little connection to my own life. And nothing could be further from the truth about the Psalms. Um, they, they, are, they are wonderful poems. Uh, they're, in the Hebrew, they're beautiful. In, in our translated English, they're amazing. Um, but these, these Psalms, um, they're, they're birthed out of um, real historical events of real historical people. And those events and those people are just like you and just like me. Um, the the kind of the emotional, um, you know, content of the psalm book um, is what it means to be a human. And so t- today's psalm, Psalm 46, uh, there's some speculation. We don't always know what the historical events surrounding the psalms were. In fact, Usually we don't know. And this one, we, we don't have, you know, kind of fact-based evidence on this is what was going on in this psalmist's life. But there's some speculation and some, you know, some, some thoughts on this. And one of the kind of suggestions of what, what this psalm was birthed out of um, is a deliverance that God gave his people uh, when his city, uh, Jerusalem, was under attack by the Assyrian armies and King Sennacherib. Uh, if you want to read this, it's found in your Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 19. Um, it's it's a, a brief but powerful exhibition of God's power on display as he protects his people and his city. And in, in that event, um, what happens is, is the angel of the Lord, um, who often shows up in the Old Testament, um, appears and... Um, obliterates 185,000 Assyrian soldiers to protect God's people who were sitting ducks. And, um, and it's just this profound thing where it, it, it was the walls of Jerusalem literally were preparing to cave in. They, it, was, it was under deep distress and turmoil, and then the Lord arrived. And so that's where Psalm 46 um, comes to us. And, and one of the other things I just kind of want to farm in here on the Psalms, and you know, if, if there's any pattern you can predict in my preaching, uh, it, it's this. Uh, that these Psalms, though they are tied to historical events and historical people and you and me, uh, the, the, the end game, the, the end of the path for every single Psalm, all 150 of them, is to lead us directly into the hands of of the person and work of the Lord Jesus, all of them. And so, you know, predicting, predicting the, the pattern we're going to head down, that, that's where I want to lead you to today as we look at this psalm, 
is it, it, it takes us to Jesus. Um, so let's, let's look at the psalm together. Let me read Psalm 46 for us this morning. Again, I won't be reading Selah, if you weren't here last week. That's simply a, a musical term that means to pause and reflect on what was just said. So I'm just going to pause. Uh, you'll see, you'll see kind of how it works in this psalm. Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray together. Father, we are gathered now as you've both commanded and invited us uh, to do. And we're, we're here um, because we need to hear from you. And we believe that you speak um, through your spirit and the preaching of your scriptures. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use the preaching of this one man who is simultaneously nothing um, but also everything because of what you've done for me and Jesus. Uh, Lord, speak to your people. Help us to, to see Jesus clearly uh, from Psalm 46. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Uh, I've had a lot uh, of obscure jobs. Uh, one, of, one of my first jobs, in fact, I think it was my first paying job, uh, was uh, for, and, and by paying, I mean like cash under the table and Subway sandwiches paying, uh, like really low-key, it was like a weekend job. Uh, it was with Garden Schwartz Sports. For, for you longtime locals, you'll know what Garden Schwartz Sports is. I think it's, I don't know if it got took over big, by Big Five, but it was a local sporting goods store. And, and a handful of friends uh, from, a, from a team that I was on got invited, probably connection through a coach or something, to go to a warehouse uh, that Garden Schwartz Sports had and to do some inventory work for them. And I remember, it's kind of one of my, uh, you know, I don't know how old I was, 13, 14, kind of early, early memories. And I remember going into this Garden Schwartz Sports warehouse. And it was like um, power off for some reason. Like, I don't know if it was not a running warehouse, but it was like, it's kind of cold and dingy and dark. And uh, there, were, there were big boxes, like of pallets of stuff uh, all over the place. And it was our job 
uh, to dig through the bins and to kind of do some organizing and inventorying from them. And they were just, you know, piles that made no sense. I don't know if this was just like discarded and dated gear, but just kind of some random, obscure stuff. But for some reason, they wanted it organized and inventoried. And so we were doing this. And, and I remember at the end of the, the workday, I think there were a couple of them, the, the guy who was supervising us or whatever, he kind of told us, he said, now that you've dug through all those bins, you know, you guys can go, you guys can go pick some items and, and you can have them. You know, like, I don't know if he gave us a limit or whatever, but I, I just remember kind of scavenging, grabbing some, some Nikes and some shorts or what, you know, just kind of grabbing a bunch of items out of these random piles. And it was, you know, the cash was fine, the sandwiches were great, but it was like taking the gear home was kind of like the treasure of the job. And, and you know, I think, just kind of correlating to what's going on in our lives, I feel like all that's surmounting around us right now can feel like just this big bin of that stuff. It just it, it, it's doesn't make sense why it's here. We're just kind of, you know, rummaging through it, trying to figure out, you know, what's, what's going on and all that stuff. Um, but, but, you know, much like that job for me, I feel like the invitation that's on the table for you today is for you to, to dig through that bin. And that bin, uh, you know, again, using analogies and metaphors, because that's kind of my specialty here, uh, d- the, the bin is your life. The bin is your heart. The bin is the core of who you are and what's going on all up in there. And, I, and I've, I've used this language throughout the Psalms, and I'll continue to use it. Um, the Psalms are inviting you to, to survey kind of your emotional intelligence. Like for you to be able to have this awareness of what it is you actually are feeling right now and, and what that means. Now, you know, I, I, I've, I've been in the circles of Christians that would say, you know, feelings are dangerous and you, you can't trust your feelings and you shouldn't, shouldn't really explore that. You know, it's just, you know, the Bible in your head. And, 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 and I feel like, you know, the Psalms are this desperate plea um, for you to take survey of your feelings, for you to understand the emotional inventory, because here's why. When, when emotions are kind of stirring inside of you, whether you're aware of them or not, they're there. Um, they are indicators. They are like alarm systems of what is ultimate in your life. And I'm convinced um, that there are three things that are ultimate in, in our lives. And, I, and I'm speaking to, you know, primarily 21st century American Christians, for the most, that's who, that's who I feel like is, is here with us and maybe listens online. Um, and these are the three things that are the, the priority to That's a cliffhanger, right? Here's the three things. Well, we're probably not going to use notes today. The, uh, the three things that I think are the, the things that are controlling your kind of who you are as a person are uh, control, approval, and security. Like the core things that really get us amped up is, is, is we need control over our lives. We need approval. We need to know that we're accepted and everything's going to be okay. And then we need security, like some, some safety net to some degree. And this psalm, Psalm 46, directly addresses two out of those three, control and security. 
So, so um, when I'm preparing to preach, I'll read, you know, some commentaries of, of scholars uh, who have written on these passages, and I use them kind of as conversation partners, and, and I like to read some of the, the dead old guys, and one of those is, is, of course, John Calvin. He's a kind of a Protestant reformer guy. Some of you are familiar with his stuff, and, and John Calvin, what I love about the kind of the old dead guys is they have a whole different set of vocabulary, and, and in commenting on this passage, Calvin summarized uh, uh, the, the, the whole psalm by saying that it is God's peculiar office to quell our commotions. To quell uh, is a new word to me. Uh, to quell is to mean to put, to put to end by force. So God is forcefully putting an end. Maybe in our day and age, it'd be like the cancel culture, right? He is canceling some things. And in this psalm, he's quelling a, a few different things. He's quelling our fear. He's quelling our insecurity. And he's quelling our enemies. So let's just let's kind of hang the sermon on those three things as we just walk through it. I, I need to look at the text. So I'm going to figure this out. Handheld mic. I'm a hand talker. So today we're not using my hands, apparently. Um, look, look with me at the opening uh, three verses. So the, the way this, this psalm is phrased, framed is by the Selahs. So the Selahs give us our three, you know, pausing momentary uh, reflections, right? So Selah number one is verses one to three, and that's where he's addressing fear. Um, fear uh, rises when control is compromised or our illusion of control, more accurately, is compromised. So look at what the psalmist says. He says, and we're going to circle back around to verse 1, but he says, God's our refuge, strength, and very present help. That's, that's the headline of the psalm. We'll, we'll circle back around to that. He says, but because that's true, we will not fear. Now, I think I've been, I didn't look this up, but I've, I've heard it so many times, I believe it now. I think the Bible says uh, that we should not fear, like do not fear or fear not in some form or fashion 365 times. So appropriately, you know, one for every day. And, and what the psalmist and what the Bible is not doing is it's not just, it's not just kind of like wagging its finger, like, you know, what are you afraid of? Like, what, what are you so scared of? Don't be scared. It's not, it's not doing that. What it's doing is it's, it's in, again, inviting us to understand the direction of our fear. What are we afraid of? And, and look at how the psalmist, he uses you know, poetic language, verses uh, 2 and 3. He says, here's why we won't fear. Even though uh, the earth gives, wave, uh, gives way, the mountains are moved into the sea, the waters roar and foam, the mountains tremble and it's swelling. What he's saying, in other words, if you look around and everything around you seems out of control, um, you shouldn't fear. If we were writing this psalm today, uh, it would sound like this. Um, even though you know, category one hurricanes come barreling through the East Coast. Uh, even though 2,700 tons of ammonium nitrate explode like you've never seen anything explode before, uh, even though a, a viral strand that's unknown to us is ravaging the world, even though tornadoes are plummeting homes and families, even though all those things over which None of us have any control. Even though all those things happen, we should not fear. And here's, here's the question 
uh, you that I want to kind of pose to you this morning is what do we do when things are out of control? Like, what do we do with fear? And when I say fear, I, I want you just to feel this. I, it doesn't just mean I'm afraid. You know, emotions have a wide spectrum. And so fear, under fear would fall anxiety. Just this paralyzing anxiousness of, you know, what's, what's next? Right? We, we see all the, the, the memes kind of joking, like what's the next plague or whatever. But like there's this, there's this really deep-seated anxiety in some of us that are saying like, what's, what's next? Or maybe it's kind of a level down and it's just worry. Like if you're not worrying at all, there's probably something wrong with that. Like there's, there's just this level of uncertainty and doubt and worry and fear and anxiety. Like all that is in the spectrum of fear. And so the psalmist says, we don't need to do that. We don't need to have that. In fact, what he's going to invite us to and what I, where I want to lead you to is he's going to tell you where to put that fear. Okay? So just hang on to that for a minute. God is quelling your fear, your anxiety, your doubt, your worry. But, but he's going to tell you to put it somewhere. But we're going to come back to that. The second thing that he's quelling is your insecurity. Uh, look at verse 4. Kind of out of nowhere, it says there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Um, just geographical note, there's no river that comes out of Jerusalem. So the city of God is Jerusalem, and there is no river um, that's coming out of it. So what, what's he talking about here? Well, I think a couple of things are going on. One is he's doing kind of a compare and contrast thing with what just previously happened in verse 3. So even though all the waters are raging and the storms are stirring up and everything that's going on around you, there's... There's a, there's a calm, peaceful river coming out of the city of God. Now, I know we've got a few fishermen types that like to, you know, to throw the bait in the water, and they'll get that, right? Like, oh, yeah, the river is real peaceful. For the rest of us that kind of hang out in the city, we don't really get that. Um, but but here's, here's what the psalmist and what, what the Bible uh, repeatedly assures us of is that God is building a city. And the city on earth is Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem, so the city of peace. Shalom is, is the Bible's usage of wholeness, peace, uh, when all is right, when everything is going well. And so God is building the city, and the psalmist says there's a river coming out of it. And that's, um, that's where peace is found, in this river. Hang on to that. We're going to come back to that. But, but really what the psalmist is after in the second stanza of, these, of, this, of this psalm is he's addressing um, insecurity. And under the, the umbrella of insecurity would fall things like um, loneliness. Like if isolation hasn't really turned up the temperature of loneliness on your life um, you're probably burying that somewhere. And, and this is heightened, of course, for, you know, for, for singles or for those that are kind of at high risk and have you know, placed themselves in close quarters. But, but even for those of us that are surrounded with you know, spouses and children and loved ones, like there's something right now that, that has heightened our sense of loneliness, our longing to be with people. And the psalmist says, here's how, here's how insecurities resolved is God's presence. 
verse 5. Here's, here's where the city with no peace, right, the not Jerusalem, is where God is in the midst of her. Um, so the antidote to loneliness and insecurity is the presence of God. And again, I'm going to circle back around and just kind of, I want to lead you to, to Jesus and all this. But I just want you to feel, engage the temperature right now of your insecurity. Because, again, if you're anything like me, and I, and I, and I think you are, uh, something says that because of all that's going on in and around us, either God is mad at me or, um, you know, or God is frustrated at, at least. He's barely tolerating me. And so this is, this is kind of the, this is the other shoe dropping a little bit. So, okay, so we've, we've kind of talked about a little bit about the fear, a little bit about the insecurity that's going on. The final scene that shows up in kind of verses, um, let me flip the page, verses 7 down through the end is, uh, is the scene of the battlefield. So God shows up in the psalm, and again, the reference is to 2 Kings chapter 19, where God has utterly destroyed the enemies that were threatening the city of peace. So the Assyrian army and King Sennacherib are now slain. And what God does is he, he, he kind of takes us to that scene and it's where the, you know, the bows are shattered, the spears are broken, there's shields and chariots everywhere. You can kind of envision the battle scene of a defeated army. And he invites us to do, to, to do two things, to come and to behold what God has done. Um, I, I've, been, I've been around Christianity and the Bible for a while, and I've, I've never preached this passage or really studied it, but I've always interpreted what God says in that verse, to be still and know that I am God, kind of like this. Just relax, you know, chill out. It's kind of like the yoga version of Jesus or something, like, hey, just be still, take a couple deep breaths. It's going to be all right. And um, that, that doesn't appear to be what he's doing. Uh, what, what God does, and through the psalmist here, is he invites us to survey um, slaughtered enemies and to sit there, to, to be still in that, in that scene and to observe that God will be exalted. Like that's, that's troubling on the one hand, it sounds kind of narcissistic, um, but it's also profoundly assuring for God's people. That for those who feel the storms raging all around them, there's this stillness to us. And I think that's what the Psalm's inviting you to today. That I think this is a time for Christians um, to be peculiar people, as one author put it, to be a strange people in a world who are still, knowing that God will be exalted among the nations. And, um, and here's why we can do that. The only reason why you and I can have this stillness to our lives is because of the work that Jesus came to do. And let me, let me remind you of that work in, in maybe some fresh categories. Uh, the work that Jesus came to do um, was to slay your enemies and your enemy. Uh, 
Jesus did not come to simply kind of to pave a comfortable life, like for us to kind of carve out just, you know, these kind of, these Christian kind of lifestyle. Because, you know, pre-pandemic, I'm falling prey to this. Like, it's like, life is comfortable. It's okay. You know, we just kind of, we just kind of live Christian-like lives, and we do things together, and um, and that's kind of enough. Uh, but this this whole thing has us, you know, recategorizing everything. And, and Jesus's work was to come and to slay the enemies that were threatening our peace. And the enemies that were threatening our peace, at its core, is our rebellion against God. Um, across the board, no exceptions. Like Jesus came to undo what rebels had done. And he came as a man who, um, who, who had eternally had peace with God. Like he, he, he never experienced fear, anxiety, doubt, trembling, insecurity, loneliness. He never had experienced any of that until he took on our nature. So Jesus comes to experience life the way you are currently experiencing it. And that's, that's why the gospel is unique in nature is because Jesus didn't come to just kind of band-aid over your problems. What he did was he came and he entered into them. And so Jesus began to experience anxiety and fear and doubt and insecurity, and it, and it supremely happened right before he went to his death on a cross. At the Garden of Gethsemane, what we see is Jesus experiencing um, the full gamut of the human emotions that stir up inside of us when you know things are about to go really wrong. So here Jesus is in the garden, and he's, he's praying to God. He, he asks his closest friends, he says, come with me, I don't want to do this alone. He, he leaves them behind. You know, they fall asleep. They, they underestimate the severity of what Jesus is about to endure. Jesus goes and he prays to the Father and he says, Father, if there's any other way, like if there's any other way that I don't have to drink this cup that you're handing me, and the cup was the cup of wrath, the foaming, white-hot, raging sea of God's punishment towards rebels. The Father was giving him that. And he said, drink it all of it, every drip of the rebellion of my people, take it on yourself. And Jesus said, if there's any other way, if there's any other way I can rescue your people from their enemies, I will do it. And the father said, drink the cup. And Jesus, uh, if you remember in the gospel account, it says that he blood, he, he, he sweat droplets of blood. Like he, like that is fear and anxiety to the highest degree. And so, so we begin to relate to Jesus because what he does is he takes all of the raw emotions of a rebel's heart going into the presence of a holy God and he bears them in himself. And so Jesus is pierced like a rebel on the cross. He takes all of the fear, anxiety, doubt, he experiences isolation and loneliness like none of us ever have. Jesus hung on the cross and his father walked away, left him there for dead. 
utter silence. His friends abandoned him. Darkness fell over him. He was buried in a tomb forgotten by the world. Isolation like none of us have ever experienced. But then the day that everything changed is the day that death died. The day that Jesus declared the final, utter, complete victory over your enemies, your rebellion, and the enemy, the one who held death over us. So let me just kind of tie this up. The good news about Jesus is that you can now not only have life in him, life that is free, abundant, and still in God's presence, but you can also relate to him. The invitation of Psalm 46 is not just, don't be afraid, everything's going to be all right. The invitation of Psalm 46 is hide your fears and insecurity in Jesus because he is our refuge, our strength, our very present help in trouble. Psalm 46 is not about Jerusalem, the city on earth. It's not about ethnic Israel. It's not about Assyrians. It's about Jesus and it's about you being invited to hide yourself in him. Let me close the sermon uh, doing this. We're gonna, let me do two things. Uh, one is we're going to sing a, a, a well-known hymn, uh, It Is Well With My Soul. Let me give you some backstory on that. And then I'm going to read a prayer. I didn't know Rick was going to write and read a prayer, but I'm going to read a prayer uh, that was printed in uh, our denomination's mag- magazine. It's called By Faith. And it was just it was just really powerful for me. So I'm going to use that as our closing prayer. But let me, let me tell you about It Is Well With My Soul before we sing that with gusto. Um, it Is Well With My Soul was wit- written by a man named Horatio Spafford. Uh, he, was a, he was a very successful businessman in Chicago in the late 1800s, and uh, his, uh, his business was kind of uh, struggling, uh, and his family was preparing to go on vacation uh, over to Europe, and uh, he had to stay behind for business. And so he sent his wife, and he had four daughters at the time. He sent his wife and four daughters over on a ship. That's how they traveled, uh, and he, they... they we're going over to Europe, and the, the boat was shipwrecked, and his wife survived, and his four daughters died in the shipwreck. And he got news of uh, their death a few days later, and on his journey over uh, to, to visit his grieving wife, now in Europe, grieving their loss of their four daughters, he wrote this hymn. He wrote this hymn, and the reason why it's a, such a powerful hymn is because it was written from a place of pain. And, and usually the ones who sing this song the best are the ones who have experienced pain and suffering and heartache. And if you haven't done that, that's okay. Like, I'm not going to guilt you. Like, if life is good right now and you really haven't experienced a ton of turmoil through all this and you've got your job and things seem to be going well, that's great. But what this hymn does is it, 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 it not only walks you through current pain, if that's where you're at, but it also prepares you for the pain of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to take up our cross and to follow after him. It is well with my soul, even when, when peace like a river or sea, uh, sorrows of sea billows are roaring over us. That's what we're about to sing. So let me, let me just read this prayer as our closing prayer. Uh, And if Caleb and Rory want to come up, we'll, we'll close in song after this.
It's a little long, but I'll read it. Almighty God, our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend, you who sit enthroned over the flood, we are staggering in the surf of breakers, bringing bad news and worse news, while an invisible menace laps at our doorstep. Father of all mercies, have mercy on us. We are anxious, exhausted, angry, and sad. We need your peace that surpasses understanding to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Be our refuge and strength. Be our very present help in this time of trouble. Even in this trouble, we thank you for green spring life that refuses to wait for death's shadow to pass, for technology that unites exiles and draws the sol solitary near for your church that prevails in the quarantine, for your own Holy Spirit who is socially present with us always. But forgive us, Lord, for hating our unwashed neighbors in our heart, for opening our hearts to unfettered fear, for closing our hearts and our pockets to any in need, for loosening our grip on your precious and very great promises. Assure us, our gracious Redeemer, that our sins are nailed to the cross of Jesus, that we are clothed in the righteous white robes of Christ, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that nothing, nothing can ever separate us from your love. Great physician, we pray for those most vulnerable to this virus, for the elderly, the weak, and those with chronic conditions, for the poor, the hungry, and the isolated, for those already infected. Deliver them from this evil and prevent the rest of us from carrying it to them. God of hosts, we pray for the caregivers on the front lines, for doctors and nurses and healthcare workers, for police and firefighters and government officials, for parents in the home and under shepherds in the church. Guard and guide them, shield and sustain them. Rock of ages, we pray for the newly unstable, for those who have lost jobs, lost businesses, lost savings, lost homes, for those facing the likelihood of losing even more. Hide them in the cool shadow of your wings. Provide every good thing for them that you as a good father know that they need. In dwelling spirit, empower your people to serve, to get wisdom and live by it and share it freely, to embody peace amid the strife of tongues, to present our bodies as living sacrifices, to suffer with Christ in patient endurance. Give us all fresh confidence that there is no future where you are not present. No sorrow where you are not near. No tears not kept in your bottle. No locust-eaten years you will not restore. And so we trust you, our generous provider. If the market does not pull up, and if all our accounts drain to pennies, even still, let us rejoice in the Lord, our strength. Let us take joy in the God of our salvation. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 